Welcome to the Multifamily by the Slice Podcasts with your hosts, Dre Evans and Ike Eke. On this show, you'll gain unique perspectives from investors and professionals on all aspects of the apartment investing space. Do you want to achieve legacy wealth and live a life of financial freedom? Well, all it takes is that first slice of wisdom to get you started on the journey to building your empire. Please subscribe to the show, leave a five-star review, and pass it along to a friend that can benefit from a slice of multifamily knowledge. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. Today, our guest is Vince Scolari, and this is one of those episodes where we get the opportunity to really pick the brain of somebody that has a lot of experience in the multifamily space. The reason I say that is because he started investing right out of college in 2007. And for those of you out there that have been in real estate for a while, you know that 2007-08-09 is or was a, a harrowing time in this industry. And so we get some firsthand knowledge of you know, some experiences around that time and, you know, someone that actually did quite well around that time. So very interesting interview and, and very interesting conversation that we just had. Uh, what do you think about it, Dre? Unique to me, bro. Uh, I think that Vince had a unique perspective talking about the LP side of the house, investing as a limited partner, as well as a general partner before the crash in both capacities. And I thought that was very unique in how he talks about that. As you know, we have a lot of different contractors and brokers and operators on the show, typically investors in general on the active side, but it's not every day that you get a lot of passive guys. And even though he is active, it was nice to have him talk from the passive side of the house for for our listeners out as well. And I know some people might want to be strictly passive or they might want to mix. So very unique, very interesting uh, show. Thanks for bringing him on. He was your guest. So let's get into it. Now let's get into today's show sponsor. Let me let you in on the best kept secret when it comes to investing in single or multifamily flips. Hire an interior designer. Now stay with me. We're not talking about curtains and throw pillows here. We're talking about elevating your design, reconfiguring your floor plans, and developing functional spaces all to maximize your ROI. Melanie Ray Designs has over 12 years of experience designing in the San Diego real estate market and is ready to help you increase your profits on flips, buy and hold, or short-term rentals. Reach out to Melanie herself at melrenee.com at gmail.com. That's M-E-L-R-E-N-E-H at gmail.com. Now let's, now let's get, get back, back to, to the, the show. show. What's going on, folks? Got your host here, Dre Evans. Welcome to another episode of Multi-Family About a Slice. I've got the incredible Ike in the house, and we've also got Vince Scolari. But before we introduce our guests, as always, you guys know I got to check in with my main man, Ike. Ike, how you doing today, bro? I'm doing good, man. We're recording this on a Friday. And it's always fun to record on Fridays because it's, it's, you know, end of the day, we get to have a nice little conversation and sort of ride off into the weekend. It's mid-60s down here in San Diego, not a cloud in the sky. I couldn't be happier, man. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I agree. I'm excited for the weekend, excited to just relax and chill. It's sunny outside, like you said. I'm in Little Italy right off the harbor, and you've got a nice little breeze coming through. You've got people outside walking to coffee shops, walking to King and Queen Catina, get some margaritas. So it's a good day, man. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Well, let me bring in our guest here, Vince Scolari. He has worked in risk management in the construction space in the Bay Area, um, which is where he resides. And he's also done some investing in syndications right out of college. So, you know, he's been exposed to the real estate industry for a very long time. And he also owns a brokerage firm. And so, you know, many different facets of real estate investing and development, I think we'll we'll get a lot of this this call in this show. So, 
Vince filling the holes for us. Tell us about your past here. Yeah, no, uh, good to be here, guys. And Andrea, it sounds like uh, I got to come out and hang out with you. Your, uh, your spot sounds pretty <laughs> rad right now. <laughs> come on through, uh, man. Come on through. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, thank you. So I got started kind of early in, in life, unwittingly, I would say, in the real estate game, uh, investing as an LP um, in some deals that my aunt, who is a fairly savvy investor, which I had no idea what that was or, or how to get there. But um, she kind of opened it up to some family and friends that she was doing uh, stuff here in the South Southern Bay area, Gilroy, Hollister area, Northern California, and um, just kind of got in as an LP there. And that kind of started my real estate journey. I mean, I, I had no idea what was a good deal. It was just, hey, here's my aunt doing something that sounds pretty cool, right? And um, I had a little extra money from my job at the time and was like, okay, I'll, I'll throw a little bit of money at this and just see what it what it does. I've always been a, a saver by trade. Yeah, I always had a, a, you know, was good about saving money and not overspending or doing that kind of stuff. So just a little bit of extra money I did have is, you know, a couple of years out of college was able to put it into a real estate investment. Wasn't too overly sexy at first. I mean, California, if anybody's invested here, it's not really a cash flow market. It's definitely an appreciation market and it's pretty consistently an appreciation market. And so the first couple of years, we we held onto the property for three years. You get these little tiny checks. And, and again, my, my contribution was small at the time. So it was even smaller than what you would normally see in an indication. And um, it was just kind of like, all right, this is uh, this is kind of cool. You get these little little checks here and there. And uh, then when it came time, came time to sell the building, uh, that's when it kind of really hit me because you got this really big check at the end of it, and it was like, whoa, okay. And then start working backwards from the math. It's like I did what on this investment? And um, you know, again, not an overwhelming sum of money at the time because I didn't have a whole lot to put into it, but. It was a very nice, solid return when we sold that building back in 2012. So it was, you know, kind of an eye-opening experience for me. And that's kind of what then started to pique my interest into, all right, I got to really understand this space because I could see now where the power of, of real estate is and and how you can really create a business and, and generate wealth for your family doing real estate. So that kind of, you know, again, going back was the first experience I had. And then continued to invest as an LP from there, and then slowly started the transition over to joint ventures and, and general partner side of, of things as I you know, became more and more savvy and more and more experienced in it. Ike, you had mentioned that my day job or W-2, which actually isn't a W-2, is a, I started as a W-2 in a insurance, basically, that specialized in construction and development. So I had a little bit of experience there as well and that we were doing some of the development side of things um, here in the Bay Area and all over California with our clients. And, you know, going through that experience, you get to kind of see the ground up process of, of building buildings, which was always kind of fun use and being part of creating something. I mean, it was on the more of the, the tertiary uh, portion of it, but, you know, get to going on site and doing that kind of stuff continued to kind of evolve my, my journey in the real estate space. And then we, you know, I since transitioned and um, and now an owner in a, in a firm here that's uh, that does the same thing. So that's uh, that's my brokerage firm that we're part of. I would say one thing that really kind of continued to lead me into the real estate space there was dealing with some pretty sizable contractors, and these guys are are doing quite well in their businesses. And started noticing a lot of common themes there with them, and and dealing with their balance sheets is that they all owned quite a bit of real estate and continued to do so to build their own wealth. And so, you know, you kind of like to emulate people that are more successful than you, it, you know, kind of really started reinforcing that 
hey, you know, the more you can get into real estate, the better off you're going to be in the long run. And, and, you know, again, just seeing other successful people investing heavily in the space, you know, just confirms your, your suspicions and your thoughts that, that you're, you're taking the right journey along this, uh, this path that we're all trying to, trying to work up. Yeah, I have a question about your early past, and it sort of centers around the ideal that time in the market is more important than timing the market, right? So you started, you know, relatively early. I'm not exactly sure the year you got in, but you mentioned that a property was sold in 2012. So I would imagine, you know, it'll tell you at least a few years and you were probably in, you know, around the, the great financial crash or prior to it. And so from then all the way to now, which is, you know, over, you know, a few decades here, what have you been able to learn and how do you look back on that time understanding you've been in the market for so long? Good question. And yeah, so we, uh, going back to that investment, obviously very interesting timing, knowing that we all, um, we bought that building in 2007. So it was right before the, the financial crash. Yeah. So timing wise, you look back and go, God, that was the worst time never to buy that building. But again, looking back on it, we did really well on that building and mm-hmm. I've got no complaints. We, you know, we held it for a year longer than additionally planned um, coming out of it, but it does definitely go back to there, there's, there is no real bad time to buy real estate. And that was one of the best or the worst real estate crashes that we've ever seen in probably our lifetimes, probably will ever see in our lifetimes, just looking at trends in past history and buying a building right before that crash and coming out of it, you know, uh, four or five years later and making really really good money on that deal shows that, you know, if you just, you got to structure it right, know what you're doing, make the right buy. And you can absolutely come through any sort of blip in the economy or, I mean, you know, in 2008's case, way more than a blip (laughs) (laughs) and do well in the space. I mean, obviously that created a lot of buy opportunities after the fact and a lot of real estate momentum. Once things started coming out of that cycle, which is when we were able to sell on that early end of the coming out of the great recession. But, you know, looking back on that deal again, I got into it not knowing any of the stuff I know now. It was structured incredibly well and safe so that if anything did happen, which obviously the worst case thing did happen, you can come out of it okay. I mean, we structured debt properly. It wasn't financed on short-term debt that could have caught us in a situation where we're kind of catching the falling knife, trying to refinance at a time when you can't get debt at all, regardless of how strong the building was and the income was on that building just because of the debt markets. It was, you know, Cash flowing pretty well right out the gates. Occupancy was super strong during that time. So demand was really high. And, you know, we never lost a tenant. We continue to see those rent grows because it was under market at the time. And we were able to get an up ramp up period before the downturn and then continue to keep it just steady as things started coming out of that, that momentous crash that we went through in 2008 and then had a great sell opportunity. I mean, again, we had to hold, we held on to it a little bit longer because we saw the the tailwind starting picking up and it was to our benefit to hold on to it for another year and, and versus selling it when things were still a little uncertain out yeah. there. So I'm glad we're on this particular topic because I mean, depending on who you ask, a lot of people are saying, you know, we're t- towards the top of the market now and we're starting to see the same writing on the wall that we saw in 07 or 06 going into the crash of 2008 and 2009. And, you know, you never hear stories about people making it through that unscathed, for lack of a better word. So I think it's a good question to ask. How did your aunt and the team that she worked on or she worked with structure the deal? Aside from components that you mentioned, you know, the, the longer term debt and the, the conservative underwriting. What other components of the, of the structuring really helped in those tough times? Yeah, I mean, obviously, debt was a huge component of it. 
we had long-term debt that wasn't set to, to reset during that whole unforeseen downturn. We, you know, again, we were uh, in a smaller group, I would say. So, but there wasn't that many. There was like seven or eight of us in total. So it was easier to make decisions in terms of what we wanted to do with the building versus having a larger group. And that was just, I mean, again, nothing that we intentionally structured that way, but that's just how it ended up working. And that ended up benefiting us in the timing of that. And then, you know, just obviously buying that building right as well. I mean, there was a lot of opportunity and upside in it, even though it was on the tail end of that market cycle from what we know now and taking advantage of that, you know, for the, you know, the, I don't remember exactly how many, but it was, you know, let's just call it eight to 14 months before the bottom fell out. So that gave us plenty of runway to get that building up and cover any and all uh, business plans that we were attempting to accomplish over a five-year period, fairly, you know, getting a good chunk of it out of the way and then just keeping it stabilized throughout that whole period. I mean, you know, there were little concessions made here and there, uh, but nothing major. And it just continued to do cash flow. And it was, you know, it probably slowed us down a little bit in the terms of where we were trying to achieve it in the business business plan. For the most part, you know, it, most people were just trying to hold on at that point. And for the for us to even make profits on it at that time and cash flow was more than enough than we could ask for at that time, considering what else was going on. So, you know, again, just having the foresight and flexibility of debt up front and planning that through the business plan of that building, you know, ended up paying huge dividends for us, um, you know, knowing now what happened after we bought that building. So um, yeah, definitely the buy right and the finance right portion of that came in huge. Um, Just knowing, you know, again, having that now looking back in the past of what, what happened after we purchased that. So Vince, you talked about when you first got started and you started off as an LP investor. So I want to actually backtrack a little bit and I want you to tell me about the lessons learned because you use that phrase. You learned a lot of lessons being an LP before you even move forward to do a GP or joint venture deal. So tell me about the lessons you learned as an LP and advice that you would give to other people that are considering investing in, as a limited partner in a syndication and how you eventually went active and leveraged that to become a GP. Yeah, that's no, a great question. I mean, I mean, one thing I think, especially if you're looking at it as an LP, you know, try to kind of get away from the veil of what is on a tear sheet in terms of returns and potential opportunity there. Cause that is a piece of paper that is meaningless unless you can actually accomplish what's on that, what, what is being projected to. So first and foremost, you got to know your operator. You got to know what they've done, um, where they've been in the, in, in the market cycle, how many deals they potentially have done. Again, going back to that first deal, um, the, the main operator, um, um, was very experienced and gone through, you know, 20 plus years of market cycles prior to 2008. So, you know, again, just that, and, and it ended up paying off huge in, in that particular instance, just knowing what happened with the, the great recession. But I definitely think knowing your operator and um, their skill set, what their experience is, what their business plan is, getting into um, you know, what they think are the potential benefits of, of this particular deal. And then also what are the drawbacks? I mean, there's always going to be some kind of issue that can pop up and how are they going to work around that? So them anticipating these potential issues throughout the course of the hold, especially if it's a syndicated deal, because at some point they they have to execute the business plan and then get out and produce those returns. But there's bumps along the road. It doesn't always go like planned as most of us in real estate know. There's there's just things that pop up and you have to be able to be nimble and handle that. And, and how do they do that? And how many outs are they leaving themselves 
uh, you know, if an operator is telling you, well, this is a bulletproof plan and you should just throw your money in it and it's a guarantee. And it's like, well, okay. <laughs> you know, the, the anyone who's promising you a guarantee is, is lying to themselves and then lying to you and, as well, or just not being fully honest with it. So, um, you know, understanding that it is, a, is, it is an investment and there's nothing that's guaranteed there. And, but, you know, the better they uh, have an understanding of that in their business plan and protecting that business plan uh, with, you know, their operational skills, you know, financing, structuring the debt appropriately, um, you know, just planning for rainy day CapEx items that happen on buildings every day. And, and then, you know, dealing with just changes in market cycles and, and timing and things in terms of getting your units lease ready. I mean, again, for, for right now, you know, we're all dealing with labor and, and material shortages. So, you know, as your operator planning to be able to turn, you know, if it's a, let's say a 50 unit complex, are they planning to turn 10 units a month and, you know, get to maximum efficiency within six months? It's like, well, we're, you know, we're dealing with a lot of supply constraints right now and labor shortages in the space where, you know, people normally do these turns. So, you got to be way more conservative than that and not expect to be able to. And again, there's there's circumstances or surrounding that maybe somebody can do that and they just have a, you know, but they should have a good answer for that. Um, if you're talking to them and, and vetting them about their business plan. So, um, you know, just knowing what uh, that business plan is and how they plan to achieve it is, is there good, reasonable answers to those questions that you have, whatever, whatever it is. Nice. Now, so let's take you to the other side of the table, a little recent history. You're a GP now. You've you've done you know several deals up until this point. Tell us a little bit about that experience and you know where you've invested, uh, what sort of product you've invested in that experience as of now. Yeah. No. Uh, thanks for asking. Um, so we made the transition to I would say more JV, and then obviously on the GP side, probably about 2019. Uh, we started doing deals that were you know just. Well, let me rewind that back a little bit. I did my first wholly owned deal um, back in 2007 and I did it all by myself. And that was a, another great experience. Uh, but it also uh, really taught me the value of having partners in this game. I mean, we got to talk about it all the time. This real estate's a team sport. And uh, the more you can kind of build around a good team, the better, more effective you're going to be. And I found that out doing a deal, um, the, you know, the hard way by doing everything by myself and it just kind of burned me out. So having that experience forced me to kind of go out and look for partners and, and people that I can build a business around, which led me to the Jake and Gino community and, and, um, really kind of, you know, stepped up our game into finding those strategic partnerships and building our, our business. So found pretty much all of our partners that way, just networking, meeting people, talking to them over the course of years. Um, throughout the community and um, and starting to t- try and take down opportunities through these uh, strategic partnerships. So we've done as our our firm, which is Lawrence Rose Capital, started. We've done four deals in total, and we're in contract on our sixth. I mean, our fifth. I'm sorry. So two of which were syndicated deals, and two of which were joint venture deals. And uh, our first one was a deal that we did through joint venture partnership in Orlando. Somebody that we met through the community that was have a really good relationship with. They were there. Um, so they create, helped with me, the boots on the ground up operational side. We've been helping in terms of lease ups and, and managing the unit turns and things along those lines. I had experience with that with our, our wholly owned deal. And then after that, 
opportunity came, we got our first opportunity to help raise capital and be a part of syndication team. And it was a deal in Texas, San Antonio, which ended up being, a, has been a really good deal to start. You know, with those, it's always kind of, t- it's taking that leap to syndication is a big one, I think for, was for myself, because you can make decisions with your own money and, and, you know, be comfortable with those decisions because it is your own money, right? And you, you kind of have to, you know, live and die by those decisions yourself, but you don't have anybody else to answer to because too, right? So being into the syndication space, you're not responsible for other people's. And that brings the responsibility from here to way up here because you're now a steward of someone else's capital, which, um, you know, they, they, for whatever reason, have chosen to partner with you on these and, and, and trusting you to build in the business plan. And so it was really important for us. So we, we partnered with um, again, another team that was in market that had a massive uh, background in the space and, and very long tenure in real estate prior to even 2008. So made us comfortable just in terms of you know track record. Um, we, we had vetted the deals that we were going to do it as an LP as well and, and um, made the decision, okay, here we go. When we invest alongside our partners and then you know went in and, and started helping on the capital raise side, which was very interesting. And again, taking to the next level and that you're, you're now being a steward of somebody else, else's capital, but um, great experience. And, and um, now it's kind of led us to kind of continue to build that. We're probably seven months into that deal and it's actually been executed well, and we're continuing to execute on that business plan. And our limited partners have all been extremely happy on that deal. So having that first win right out the gates has really been a good feeling and, and uh, knowing that we're you know contributing to that that step and then helping somebody else get in the space too. I mean, I, that that's what really pushed us into the syndication space was people started asking about us doing real estate. And then it was like, well, how, how can I get into this? And having that ability to, you know, not only educate somebody who's unfamiliar with the space, but offering them an opportunity on something that they normally wouldn't think they can get into. I mean, again, we're all kind of fed the idea that, you know, you can invest in your 401k and stock market, and that's pretty much the only opportunities that are available to you. And so you know, helping someone along and getting them into access into real estate and all the benefits that come with it that, you know, we found out personally, you guys have probably experienced on your own is a, it's a great feeling and you can continue to help people build, you know, uh, additional income streams, wealth, you know, however they are doing it for themselves um, over the long term with these strategic investments. And so, um, you know, that that's been a big win for us is just having that ability to help other people um, get into the space. There's something you said in there that really resonated with me and something I agree with. I think Dre would agree with as well. And that's that, you know, when you get to the level of syndication, you, it's an extra layer of responsibility in that you're a steward of someone else's capital. You're essentially a fiduciary for someone else's capital. And you instantaneously feel the weight of the responsibility once, you know, that wire is sent and basically the, their capital is in your hands. But on the flip side, during the process of raising the capital and during the process of managing the property, it becomes really rewarding to sort of see the light bulb go off in someone else's head the same way it did in yours, where you realized how good of an investment it is to invest in real estate and build wealth through the real estate investing vehicle. And so, you know, that responsibility becomes a very rewarding feeling. I think that's something you articulated really well in explaining, you know, some of the stuff that you've been doing recently. So, you know, congratulations on that. It's a lot of, a lot of momentum in a very short time. Yeah, no, thank you. It is a, it is a lot of responsibility. It has that, that uh, give and take, right? Is you feel that pressure. Okay. I really got to go do this. And, you know, if you have a good team, 
that pressure is so much more alleviated because you're, you're building, you know, you're around people that are, are feeling that same weight and they know, and they want to execute, you know, just the same way you do. And again, goes, goes back to this is a team sport. And the more you can build those teams, the, the easier and the more cohesive it all becomes and in, in accomplishing that goal. And then, you know, having that experience and, and, and um, longevity there as well, uh, just continues to, to help yourself and, and obviously anybody else that you're bringing along on this, on this journey. Great. Well, we're going to move on to the next part of the show, Vince, the legacy round. So it's going to be an open forum on your favorite acquisition that forever changed the trajectory of your business, practical tips on how to grow a portfolio or how to build your investor network. So I leave you to choose one of the three. Yeah, I mean, I would say the deal that that I'm most excited about would say kind of be is that legacy deal is our most recent joint venture deal. We did it's uh, 13 duplexes in a cul-de-sac in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, a little north a town actually in Bryan, Arkansas. 2012 build, um, great little purchase. Um, the owner, it actually, so we had been looking at the deal and we offered on it and they went with a higher price on somebody else. And um, that person fell out of contract for whatever reason. They backed out, couldn't get financing at the terms they wanted. And so it ended up falling, but the owner really wanted to sell before the end of the year. And so the broker came back to us and said, Hey, you know, we will, we're going to accept your price, but we need to make sure you get, we need to know that you guys can close in six weeks which for those of us in the space is a really tight window to get out there and do your due diligence, get yeah. financing and all that stuff set up. And so we started getting on our horses and really hustling to get that thing done. And we actually closed in five. So it was a really, in, in my experience, you know, just getting through that incredibly intense close period. Fortunately, it was a joint venture. So again, the pressure of just setting up everything as a syndication, I don't think we could have done it in that time. Not that we were looking to do it that way, but just with all the extra steps you have to take with SEC regs and all that stuff, it just, those are tough deals to accomplish in, in a short time frame. But um, it also was, it ends, it's, it's been a great deal. We're hitting our three-year projection right now at the lease up the initial lease ups in terms of the increases of what we're trying to get so um off you know just right out the gates it's it's looking like we're gonna hit a home run on this so it's really exciting it's a beautiful property too um again um, not your typical value add play that we all kind of strive for it was a 2012 2013 build um, so everything was fairly new to begin with but we went in and did some light renovations to kind of even more up level the place and again bought right in a great area it's one of the best uh suburbs of little rock with the most sought after school district so it's a, it's kind of in that a minus realm if you were going to class it building so it, it's one of those kind of trophy properties that we're we're looking at and very excited and that same broker was so impressed actually flipped us his next deal which we got into contract just a few weeks ago so we're working on our second one with the same broker right now so that that's been exciting and that we've now all of a sudden got this huge tailwind of momentum in the market and we've been able to not only buy one but get another one under contract in, in a really great price comparison to where the actual market is so looking like good opportunities there and then we're talking to him about some bigger ones that we could potentially syndicate and bring some people in with with us as well so again just the momentum that we're getting there has been great so definitely excited about that Awesome. Well, uh, we'll move on to the last segment of the show. This is the Giordano run. As you know, this is the multifamily by the slice podcast and Giordano's is the number one deep dish pizza spot in Chicago. You've got these big, thick, meaty, cheesy slices of pizza. You can only eat one or two. You get so much. You get full from each slice, each filling. 
So these are going to be a series of different questions. Ike and I are going to go back and forth, and our listeners are going to walk away with mouthfuls. For the first one, you're on the top of the highest mountain in the world. You have your last words that you can shout out to everyone before you die. What would you scream out to the world and want them to remember you by? Mm, you know, I got to kind of take one from uh, from Braveheart here and yell out freedom. <laughs> <laughs> one, because I, I think that's what we're all trying to strive to build in this space is um, not only freedom, uh, you know, to alleviate our, our financial freedom, but also our, our time freedom. And I mean, I know I do uh, real estate initially so I can spend more time with my family, my kids and not have the forced of the day-to-day grind of a job. I mean, it's always work, but um, just the freedom to kind of run it on my own. I can choose my work and build it around my family life. So that that freedom and then, you know, helping other people along with their journeys in terms of where they want to be, you know, whether it be financial freedom, just freedom of time, freedom of, you know, not, you know, having to grind for every last penny at their job because they've got supplementary income streams coming in. So, yeah. Cool. Next question. If there is one slice of wisdom you wish you knew when you got started or advice you could pass on to others, what would it be? Yeah, I would definitely say find people in the space and network with them, whether that be, you know, through groups like Jake and Gino and because partnerships help so much more in this space than trying to do it all on your own. I mean, we can, it just, it's going to take you a lot longer to get that journey and a lot slower, but finding partners is going to help you so much more in terms of accelerating that, that growth and that, um, that, um, momentum in the, in the space that you're trying to achieve. Um, so definitely look for partners, find ways to connect with people. Um, again, groups like Jake and Gino and masterminds are, are a huge, leg up because you're partnering with like-minded motivated people that want to achieve the same thing that you are. So definitely would be my advice about it. I wish I had taken or found that out much sooner in my journey for sure. Vocab, what are your favorite or three most critical real estate terms multifamily investors should know and why? One, I, I, I'm going to say right out the gates is cap rate is uh, a, a lot of people obsess over with that term, what, what are you buying at? What cap rate? And, and, um, they don't really know what they're asking sometimes. So just knowing, you know, what that ratio is and, and why people ask that or why it shouldn't matter in a deal, um, for us value add guys. I mean, if I'm going to value add something, I can buy it at a one cap and, and make it work. Right. So the cap rate isn't really something that matters just depending on how you're going to buy it. Right. I mean, if I'm buying a building in all cash, then it matters. Right. And that's pretty much the only only real time where you're you're looking at. I mean, you need to know it for your market metrics and things like that. But what cap rate you bought a building at for a value add person isn't necessarily the most important one. So it's it's one I'd like to get people to understand a little bit more. IRR is a good one because it's one we look at a lot on the syndication side of thing, and it is it is a little bit more complex of a term. So knowing that in in comparison to like your your average annualized revenue, your AR, you know what the differences are between those two. And then let's see, what else is a good one? I'd say, I don't want to go cash on cash because it's a financial Mm -hmm. metric. I mean, knowing something along the lines of like your median household incomes or your price to rent ratios in the markets, so people kind of have more of an understanding of why you're buying, especially out of state. We're, We're all from California, right? And so knowing why you're going after a particular market, why the, you know, why is Austin growing like a weed or why is... Little Rock, for example, uh, a good market to be investing in and, and, and understanding those market metrics is definitely something that um, 
that I, I would like people to understand and, and um, walk away with, okay, this is, this is, this makes sense to me because the, the general market in that area uh, has a lot of uh, things that are, are giving this an uplift as a real estate investment, whether it be jobs, you know, income growth, um, unemployment, um, diverse economics in terms of the jobs that are available in the marketplace and things along those lines. Last question. Education is critical in this business. What books, apps, or mastermind groups would you recommend listeners immerse themselves in? Yeah, well, I mean, I just kind of gave it a little bit of a plug, but um, <laughs> finding communities, again, like Jake and Gino, it, it, you know, you get it kind of the, everything there, right? They, they, they have a podcast. They have a huge group of like-minded people who are all motivated to get into real estate. And then they have that great educational platform via their online series and their webinars and everything that they're doing weekly and sometimes daily, depending on when it is. So you can continue to educate yourself to the point where you can make great decisions in terms of your real estate investments and understand, you know, the repercussions of, you know, what can happen when, where, why, and really protect yourself. And again, if you're going to go joint venture syndication route, protect, you know, the, your investment and other people's investment that you were, you were taking along with you. And then again, they have a multitude of different books and stuff as well that I always have to plug. And then too, you know, I would be remiss not to, not to mention Marco's mastermind, the MH mastermind as well, who goes along with, um, and um, that's, that's a great one too, because it's just kind of, you know, you're, you're taking the next step to people who are really driving deals and especially in the syndication space. So you can continue to build a network with those like-minded individuals and, and have that fallback of just people that want to help and, and build their knowledge and education with you. So how can multifamily by the size listeners best get in touch with you? Definitely visit our website, lawrencerosecapital.com. My email is just my first initial last name, bscolari at lawrencerosecapital.com. But we also have Facebook and on there and in the Jake and Gino community, if, if anybody's in there. Instagram is same thing at Lawrence Rose Capital. It's pretty simple. But yeah, I mean, I would say email or Facebook are the best ways to reach out to me. I try and be responsive to pretty much anybody who reads, reaches out and Anybody just wants to talk or get advice on, you know, direction or something, I'm more than happy to give my experience and and help out in any way I can. Awesome. Vince, thank you again for coming Thanks, on Vince. this show. Thank you for our multi-family by the sites listeners. Please subscribe to the show. Leave us a five-star review. I can I definitely appreciate it and pass it on to a friend, a family member, or a loved one that you think that will really benefit from it and that we can add value to. So thank you again. Dre Evans here, your host of the Multi-Family Bottle Slice Podcast, a.k.a. D-Dish Dre. And we got Ike <laughs> in the house, the incredible Ike, signing off. Thank you for listening to the Multi-Family by the Slice Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Lastly, check out the show notes for links to topics discussed, as well as website and social media links for Dre, Ike, and our guest. See you next week.